We'll be in Isaiah 40, so if you can turn your Bibles to Isaiah 40. Now with this aircon, I've got a draft that keeps turning my page. Can I just borrow a pen, bro? It's good. Let's put a weight on it. So Isaiah 40, and in particular verses 6, 7, and 8 are the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. Join with me as I pray too. Father God, we pray that you would help us hear your word as your very word. Lord, all scripture is God-breathed. Father, we want to hear it as from your mouth. Give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand, Father, that your truth would give us life, that your truth would transform us that we would live lives that would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Verses 6, 7 and 8, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, But the word of our God will stand forever. These verses come up with reference to the promise or the coming of Christ. These verses that I've just read point to things that we should consider or think about with regards to the coming of Christ. It's very easy for us to approach Christmas... And just do Christmas. We don't really ponder the significance. As Christians, it's very easy for us to be just like the world, really. We have information. But we approach Christmas just with information. It doesn't affect our hearts or minds in any real way. We've got to be careful. Was at a service recently where people gathered for carols. But you looked around, the only people really singing were the choir Men and women and children basically stood there silent because the coming of Jesus means nothing. Two things that will come out as we look at this that are so important if we're going to think rightly about Christmas. Firstly is that we must think rightly about ourselves. If we don't think rightly about ourselves, we won't truly appreciate what Christmas is all about, what the coming of Jesus truly means. And the reality is you are far more fragile, far more pathetic than you can even imagine. And the other great truth is that God is far more glorious, far more powerful than you can ever comprehend. We need to think rightly about ourselves. We need to think rightly about God if we're going to worship properly at Christmas. If the carols that we sing, the song that we've just done is not just words rolling off our lips... We've got to make sure we meditate on the Word of God and that we're not just carrying Christian information. It's so easy for us to go through life and just go with the flow, to be caught up in all that we're doing and we don't really meditate on the things of God. And what happens with those two things? They start creeping together. We start thinking we're far better or more than we are in God. We start forgetting how great he is and he becomes less and less and the two start drawing near to each other 
if we're going to approach Christmas rightly, they need to be at two extremes. And so firstly, your life is more fragile than you could ever imagine. We read there in verse 6, verse 7, 6 into 7, All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. It literally is all flesh. And as we've heard, all flesh means all people or all men. In the beginning, God made Adam out of flesh. He was the first man of the flesh. God created Eve from his side. And what was his great joy? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And from Adam and Eve came all people. Adam, the one man Adam, God brought forth all flesh. As we gather today, wherever we come from in the world, whether we're from America or from Asia or from Africa or Australia or whatever, whatever colour our skin is, if you remember the children's song, red or yellow, black or white, it all makes no difference. We are all of the same flesh. These words are for us all. And God says all flesh is like grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. There is something about you and me that we share with the grass, that we share with the flowers of the field. Verse 7 tells us what that is. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. What is it about you and I? that we share with the grass and with the flowers is that we wither away. Just like the flowers of the field, we fade away. We're living in the middle of a drought. God couldn't give us a clearer picture, a clearer illustration. We're surrounded by grass that was once vibrant, lush and fresh, but is now crusty, shriveled and dead. By flowers that once stood tall, bright and alive are now wilted, dull and dead. And God says, you and I are like the grass. You and I are like the flowers. All this drought is doing is showing you and fast forward what you are really like. And you know it's true. As a child, you had no thought of death. When you got a bit older in your youth, you might remember those days where you just felt invincible. You had no thought of ever getting injured. In your 20s, you hit your peak, that's your prime. In your 30s, you realise you're not invincible and you start getting hints, I'm starting to fade. You get into your 40s, you know you've turned a corner. You look in the mirror and you're definitely fading. You go into your 50s. Those aches and pains really start to set in. All those injuries from the past come back and you remind you of what you've done. 60s, you're really slowing down. In your 70s, you start to really wither and shrink. <laughs> and in your 80s, you're bending over and shuffling. And in your 90s, you're probably wondering, why am I still here? And hundreds, we don't expect to get there. The average life expectancy as Australia is 82.5 years. Surely all flesh is grass 
Around the world, every, two, every second, two people are dying. So that's dead, 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 dead. People are dropping, withering and fading. On average today, around Australia, 450 people will die. It's the certain statistic. You need to acknowledge it. You will wither and fade, or you are already knowing withering and fading. Don't live in denial. That's what our world does constantly. That's what everything on TV wants to tell us. That's what the magazine says. Just pretend it's not happening. Just cover it up. Just spend more time at the gym. Just try these crazy diets. But you're not immortal. You're mortal. You're created. God says, look at the grass. Look at the flowers. That is you. That is you. If you're wise, you will acknowledge the truth that God is telling us here, that you are utterly helpless before God, that you won't live with any false delusions, that you're completely unable to preserve yourself. You have no way of knowing how many days you're going to live. You only have one life. Reincarnation's a lie of the devil. God has said you have one life, you're ordained to live, and after that, you're destined to face judgment. God alone knows how many days he has numbered for you. When will you perish and fade? You don't know. The breath of the Lord may blow upon you before the end of this service. More than once a preacher has died preaching in the pulpit. You may not see 2020. You don't know. And the point of this text, though, is not that we're all going to get to live those 80 years, if we're lucky, but to drive home our mortality, our utter dependence upon God, that at any time God could bring us all to an end. Our lives are completely in his hand. If you take another breath, it's only because God is allowing you to breathe. If you live another day tomorrow, it's only because God is letting you live. If you see yourself through another year, it's only because God allows that to happen. And it does not matter how proud or defiant or how ruthlessly you're going to shake your fist at God. It makes no difference. You're completely in his hands. All he has to do is and you die. As simple as the grass of the fields. Even if all flesh were to unite against God, all flesh would be utterly unable to do anything to resist God. The nations we see in Isaiah 40, as you read on, are nothing before him. Powerful kings, rulers and leaders are as nothing before him. The life of every powerful leader from Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, Stalin, Trump, Putin are all in his hand. Every nation. In their days of the Israel, the Babylonian nations, and the Persians, the Romans, the British, the Americans, all these nations are in God's hands. He can bring them down with a breath. And he has, and he does, and he will. Even if all humanity would unite against God with all their military power, God would simply breathe. And like a great field of grass, everyone would perish. Are you thinking rightly about yourself? 
God is calling upon us to put our pride and our arrogance to death. To acknowledge that we are just vulnerable creatures utterly dependent upon the Creator. And so this drought should just be a constant parable, a constant reminder of where we all stand before God. We humans can be so proud of our achievements. The Babylonians were so proud. Australians, we can be so proud. We as liberty, if we can overcome any problem, we can do the right thing, we'll save this planet. All those apocalyptic movies where the end of the world's coming, humanity unites and we de- defeat the great wave, the great meat. We can overcome. No, we can't. God only has to hold back the rain. And it doesn't take long for us to realize how fragile we are. And we start getting anxious. And we start wondering, when will we perish? We're so proud, yet we can be humbled so quickly. Drought is harsh, but I pray it may be the means of grace to many. If through it they will realize they are helpless and utterly need God. And that they would cry out to him. Because this drought will pass away. This world will pass away, but hell will never pass away. The destination of all those who fade without God... Hell will never pass away. If only we will turn to God now. Realize that we need to call upon him. If you have not humbled yourself, pray to him now. As you drive home, look at the fields. When you walk in your gardens, constantly I pray that you would reflect upon your soul. Parents, adults, are you just caught up with planning your life? This year I'm going to do this and then after these many years I'm going to do that and this is where I want to be at that time. Are you consumed by your work? Are you just full of university and your studies? Are you just busy with your children all the time? And you forget I'm withering and I'm fading. Are you constantly reflecting on where you stand before God for you do not know what tomorrow will bring? Parents, do your children see that you live with eternity in mind? Do your children see that you live knowing that you are ready to die? Teach your children what it is to humble yourself before God and be ready to die well. That will be the greatest gift you can give to your children, is to prepare them to meet God. Obey the Lord. Be proactive in teaching your children the things of God. It's the devil's approach that says, don't do it. Wait and see if they're going to be interested. Then talk to them one day. God says, no, you teach them. You have no idea when your children will need to see God. They need to be ready at any time. And as they get older, studies have shown that one of the key things that young adults or youths are looking to talk about is death. They're longing to talk about death, to understand it. But many teenagers, after sex, death is the next big topic for them. Our world makes us feel uncomfortable about death. Our world hides death away. We put the withering and the fading behind closed doors in nursing homes so that we don't have to see them. In the old days, you grew up with life cycle around you. But now we're constantly teaching our youths, live as if you'll live forever. 
Prepare your children. Expose them to the realities of life. When you visit the nursing home, take them with you. And children, you may be young, you may think you will live forever. Say maybe a lot of young people say, I'll get right with God later. I'm in my youth, I'm a teenager now, I've got too many other things to get sorted through. But the reality is, as you get older, your heart very likely and most likely will not get softer. All that that more years do is brings more troubles. Life just gets messier. I have known men and women, elderly, withered and faded, their life about to leave them, yet their hearts have just become as hard as flint against God. I remember visiting an old withered man on his deathbed. He only had a few hours to live, yet he refused to hear anything about God. He just kept cursing God, and a few hours later, he met God. Children, as for adults, the day of salvation may not come when you turn 18 or 30 or retire. Today is the day to call upon the Lord. Today is the day for all of us to be ready. Hear wise old Solomon, who messed up a lot of things, but at the end of his day said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Are we hearing these things? Because look what God says to Isaiah in verse 6. He doesn't say, just take note of this Isaiah. The voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? This message is to be shouted. This message is to be out in the world loud. God is saying something that we need to hear. And clearly, unless we cry it out, unless Isaiah belts it out, people are not going to listen. This crying out is the cry of a watchman on the wall when he sees someone coming and he tells people something's happening. This is the cry of Jotham who climbed on the top of Mount Gerizim to speak to the people of Shechem so they would all hear him. And God says to Isaiah, cry it out. And not just there, but for all flesh to hear. This message is to go out into the world. There's something about you and I, humanity, the flesh that live in denial. We live as if we'll live forever. We have no thought of God. We keep quashing the things that point us to eternity. And God says, let this message ring out. You are like the grass. The devil wants this truth to remain silent. The world wants it silent. And many churches are listening to the world and cooperating. Just keep it in your homes. But God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, says, shout it out, cry it out, take it to the world so people will hear the truth. And it needs to be shouted in the churches. How tragic that people can sit in churches for years and years and still not hear. People of Israel would have heard the words from Sinai again and again, and yet God is saying to Isaiah, go to them and cried out to them. They still are not listening. They are not hearing. People can sit in these pews or our seats 
and still be shaping God to their own image, picking and choosing what they want from the Bible, come because they're still so tired because they had no thought of what they were doing last night and aren't ready to hear the word of God. Come just pondering about their hobby. Come just pondering about work. Come just pondering about what we're going to get to do after church. And people gather and the God's word has been spoken and they just don't listen. It's as if this 30, 40, 50 minutes, whoever's preaching, is just a blank. You lived and then you started living again and you just sat. And God says to Isaiah, when the people are gathered, cry it out to them. Have you truly meditated that you are nothing more than grass? Utterly dependent, knowing that you could face your maker at any point. We need to listen. Prepare the way for the Lord. Be ready to meet him. Listen to God. If you're wise, you will listen. You will humble yourself before God. You, the creature, you will fall on your knees and acknowledge God and creator. You'll acknowledge that every breath you breathe comes from him. You'll acknowledge that your life, your destiny, your eternity are completely in his hands. And you will cast yourself, your whole self, before his throne. And you'll cry out for mercy and for life and for forgiveness. That's how we have to approach the Savior at Christmas. And the second thing is God is more powerful than you could ever imagine. Just as Isaiah was to cry out, wake up to ourselves. He's to cry out, wake up to God. The grass withers, verse 8, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. It's foolish to put your hope in people. People are just like grass. Every great leader, the grass. Every philosopher, the grass. Your husband, the grass. Your wife, the grass. The children, your grass. All people are like grass. Look to God alone for your hope. Look to God alone. Don't trust in man. Fear God. Don't fear men. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of the Lord will never pass away. Don't put your hope in the planet. Don't put your hope in trying to save the planet to save your soul. Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in creation. Put your hope in the creator. Because God will never pass away. That God's word stands forever. Tells us extraordinary, wonderful things about God. The only way God's word can stand forever is if he is all powerful. His nature in himself, he is all power. We have no comprehension of just how powerful God is. If you were to begin to try and comprehend the magnitude of God's power on a scale, you wouldn't be able to fathom it. He's invincible. We're boggled by the vastness of the heavens, yet God, we read in the Bible and read in Isaiah, just stretched them out like a curtain with his word. We boggle at the stars and we're told to be in awe of the stars, yet God just spoke the stars forth and he knows every single one of them out there by name. But those scientists are only finding one by one by one. 
the vastness of this universe, the vastness, the weight, the magnitude should put us in awe of the God who could create such a thing with his word and sustain such a thing and uphold such a thing. Isaiah said he looks down upon us and we are just like grasshoppers. All power. God can never be opposed. God can never be resisted. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can frustrate him in any way or cause him to pause or slow down at any point. He is utterly sovereign, 100% in control, which means everything he says is guaranteed because nothing can frustrate it. But that God's word stands forever also tells us something wonderful about his character. God is steadfast in his love. God is unchanging. Again, we have absolutely no comprehension of just how loving God is, of just how much he is for his people. Just as you are in awe of the universe and the greatness of God, you should be in awe that he is for you in Christ. A love that is steadfast, that is ever faithful, that is ever enduring. His love never diminishes. It never wavers. It's never redirected. It is constant upon his people. There is nothing that can overcome his love for his people. That's why his word is fixed. Because his heart is fixed. And a God who is all loving and has all power means his love is perfect and can never be frustrated. You can tell your husband, your wife, how much you love them, but it's always going to have an element of, hmm. God, constant, unwavering, unchanging. It's the only sure love, the only guaranteed love. God, unchanging in his nature and in his character. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. That's why his word is forever. The Lord we worship today is exactly the Lord who walked with Adam in the garden. It's exactly the Lord who revealed himself to Moses. He's exactly the Lord who spoke to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He hasn't changed an iota. God is in the ever-present. God is the same. We can be sure just today of every word that was spoken then. It's just as fresh today. We don't pick up the Bible and read God's word as if it's dated. It doesn't date. It's the ever-present. It's the constant. Because God is unchanging. And that's why we can lay hold of God's promises, though they be future as if they are present realities. There is nothing more sure than a future promise of God to your present reality, because God's word is guaranteed. God's word is certain. And that's what it is to live by faith. We know God is absolutely true to his word. We know his word can never be shifted. And what is it to be a Christian? We believe God's word and lay claim to it. We know that every promise he makes, everything he said is utterly certain, is unwavering. And we live by it. The righteous will live by faith and faith is in the word of God. But that truth is exhilarating and terrifying. It's terrifying for the wicked. Because it means the wicked will never, ever be able to overcome God. His judgment is guaranteed. Hell is guaranteed. Eternal condemnation is guaranteed. But for those who bow the knee before God, it's exhilarating. That if you call upon his name and become his child, every promise is sure. 
Every word is certain. His heart is set upon you. And you could not be more secure. And to that, God says to Isaiah, cry out. God's word stands forever. This is a word for his people to hear. God wants Isaiah to go to his people, the people who's crying comfort, comfort, and tell them his word stands forever. The covenant will never be broken. My love for you is assured. My faithfulness is steadfast. Everything I've promised to my people is fixed. These are words of comfort. Comfort for the people of God. There is nothing like the word of God. The eternal word, the all-powerful word, the unchanging word, the loving word, the irresistible word, the word that cannot be shaken, the word that cannot, that will stand forever, the word that is invincible and immortal and lasts forever. And then John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. All that is the word of God is Jesus. Jesus is invincible. Jesus is immortal. Jesus is forever. Jesus is steadfast. Jesus is unchanging. John said at the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was born in a stable. That first Christmas, the sovereign word of God humbled himself. He who was God, a very God, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant born in human likeness, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's extraordinary. How will we ever fathom that? As we meditate upon the greatness of God and then meditate upon the humiliation of God, It's beyond our comprehension that Jesus, the word of God, came into the world to save wretched, withering blades of grass like us. Fading, wilting flowers like us. That is what happens at Christmas. In love unimaginable, he laid down his life to wither and die under the wrathful breath of God that you and I might stand up again and be lush and vibrant and live forever. Christmas is extraordinary. Jesus was born in the flesh to die for us who are of the flesh. Born to die so that we may never more die. In Jesus, all the promises of God are realized. Here are a few quickly. Firstly, the promise of comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people. That is a word of God. That is a word that cannot be broken. And God speaks to his people, comfort. He speaks to them forgiveness for the iniquities of their sin. And how much more we can grasp those words of comfort that God should forgive you your sin at the cross of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that's the word that gave you a new birth. 
When God saw you in your wretchedness and wickedness, when God saw you as a fading, wilting blade of grass and flower, in grace, utterly an act of God, he spoke his, un, his irresistible word. And he gave you new life. He gave you a new birth. And when God says, let there be life, it is guaranteed. And no longer are you an object of wrath because of what Jesus did on the cross. God could rightly and justly make you his child, rightly and justly comfort you and bring you into his kingdom. All because of what Jesus did on the cross, which means every word of God is just and true. There is nothing underhanded. Christ has paid your sin penalty in full. Your eternal life is guaranteed. You cannot but live forever in Christ. And secondly, the promise of deliverance. The Jews wondered if they would ever be set free from exile. The Babylonians were the superpower. They had nothing the vassals. But God said, I will deliver them. And he did. And they said it was like a dream. But here God speaks of an even greater deliverance. A day when Christ, the word of God, shall come. Some of us might have heard of Advent. Advent simply means coming, arrival. There are people in different churches that remember Advent. Brian's got some little cards on our wall that we're flipping for each day of Advent. But remembering Advent is not just about remembering Christmas. Those who remember Advent are remembering the coming of Christ, his second coming as well. Advent is remembering the coming of Christ into the world to establish his kingdom. And it's difficult sometimes as you read through the Bible to try and separate, is this Jesus' first coming, is Jesus' second coming? It's hard. Because in a sense, it's the one coming. When Jesus came the first time, it was the beginning, the inauguration of bringing and establishing his kingdom in the world. And we'll know its consummation and its fullness at his second coming. And we see there in verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. <clears throat> Verse 10, Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The day of great deliverance is coming. You've already got a taste of it. You've been prepared for it. God is preparing you for the kingdom that he will establish across all the earth. When Jesus came, the king started pulling his king, putting his kingdom together. A great deliverance. When John the Baptist was preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. Have you prepared for him, for his coming? Praise God for Christ's first coming. That has given you time to be ready for the day he establishes kingdom, the day all flesh shall see him, the day he will rule across all the earth. may seem like an impossible dream. We're constantly hearing how broken and up, yeah, the world's not functioning very well. We see godlessness and hatred all around us. We see our nation becoming increasingly godless and openly defiant to the things of God. But God has spoken. God has declared the day is coming when all flesh shall see the Lord Jesus, the word, and his kingdom will be established. The glorious day and when you shall see Jesus. 
And he, the good shepherd, will gather you as a flock to his side. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry you close to his bosom. More glorious deliverance and more glorious kingdom you could never imagine. And then the promise of renewal. Verse 30 of Isaiah 40 says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Where are you putting your hope? Don't put your hope in the gym, those diets, plastic surgery, whatever it is you think is going to keep you. It shows, just shows you're a slave to the flesh. It shows you haven't laid hold of the promises of God. And this is the promise that those who wait for the Lord, if your heart is given for Jesus, if you are putting your hope in him, you are laying claim to his every promise and what he has said must be guaranteed. For those who wait for the Lord shall, will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall faint. They shall walk and not be faint. God's word is plain. We must hear it as his very word. Not even the grave can beat the promises of God. If going to the grave means the promises of God will not be real in your life, then God's word has not stood forever. The righteous, the men and women of faith understood that the promises of God reach beyond the grave. They have to. God is greater than the grave. Maybe you're sitting here today feeling the withering and the fading. One day we will all be on our deathbeds, withering and fading. And I pray that God's promises will be ever sweet to us and clear. Because even in the face of death, our hope and our joy is in what God has done for us through his word. Though the world looks at you and thinks that's it, no, the Lord says you will renew your strength. You have to. You will mount up on wings like eagles. You have to. You will run. How am I ever going to run again? You will run and not be weary. You'll walk and not be faint. God promises a renewal for his people. Have the faith of a child. Don't overcomplicate. God says it. Believe it. And I pray like Job, when the time comes, you'll say, I know my Redeemer lives. My hope is in the word. And one day I shall see him in the flesh with my own eyes and not with another. In that day, you will see your shepherd and he will lift you up. You will walk by his side. Your strength will be renewed. You will not be weary. You will not be faint. You will know life and life to the full. Resurrection is a guarantee because God's word cannot be broken. As we approach Christmas, the child in the manger is the extraordinary, immortal, sovereign God, the Word made flesh, coming to save people like us who are more pathetic and wretched than we could imagine, that we could receive things that we utterly don't deserve, life everlasting to the fullness by His side, relishing in His love. That's the gospel we preach. That's the gospel we've been called to proclaim. That's what we're going to do this evening, make that message clear. As we share the gospel, we share a message that is unbreakable. There is no message that you will ever speak in this world that is more certain than sharing the gospel. 
Because when you share the gospel, you share the message of God himself. And his word stands forever. We, blades of grass, fading flowers tonight, will declare the sovereign word of God, the unchanging word of God, that gives people a hope that is beyond the grave. Live by faith. Hear the word of God. Believe it. And let it set us free. And know the joys of Christ. Because one day we shall see him. Let's pray. Father God, help us to see as we ought to see. Forgive us for filling our mind and our thoughts with so much worldliness that we have no real thought for reality and for truth. Father, please help us to see ourselves for who we truly are without Christ. And Father, help us to see your glory. Help us to grasp your word. Help us to humble ourselves before your word made flesh. And Father, help us to live by faith to be set free from this world, to live for the age to come, to be concerned for the state of our soul and not about worldly things and worldly values and about houses and bank accounts and all these things that shall perish. And Lord, fill us with a heart for the lost, that we would fear you, not men, that your love would abandon us, that we would desire that others would live and not perish more than us being embarrassed Father, please may your sovereign, unchangeable, indestructible word be alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen.